Hi, and welcome to the latest edition of the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine Resident and Medical Student Sections Biosketch Series. Uh, my name is Cole Lettinghoff. I'm a medical student here on the RAMS Research Committee. I'm excited to have with me Dr. Tsion Peru, who is an assistant professor of emergency medicine at Columbia University Medical Center. She was born and raised in Ethiopia and received her undergraduate degree in biochemistry and molecular biology from the University of Georgia. She then received her medical education at New York Medical College, completed her residency in emergency medicine at New York University and Bellevue Hospital, and a fellowship at Columbia University Medical Center. During her fellowship, she received her master's in public health from Columbia University and population health and family health, along with certificate in humanitarian assistance. Dr. Farooq, thank you for joining us so, um, today. Thank you for having me. Um, we, most of our audience here again is um, your medical students who are now considering how to start their own journey into research. So if you would just give us a little introduction uh, into your career and, and what kind of research you do and how you got started. So thank you so much. So um, I um, started, you know, my residency and thinking that, you know, for the most part that I was not go do so much of a research. So my journey to research kind of changed over time. I was really interested in public health world, global health work. And through time, you know, most of my work has been for global emergency medicine advocacy, high quality emergency care advocacy, um, increasing access for, you know, uh, vulnerable population to healthcare in general and looking at healthcare disparities. So over time, um, most of the advocacy work that I do, you know, it ends up needing more of an evidence. Some of the things that we truly believe works or we are advocating for, we either have little or no um, evidence. So the way to my, like the, how I end up getting involved in research eventually uh, is from the need and the recognition that we need more evidence to advocate for the things that we're working on. So I eventually was uh, drawn into doing research and generating evidence for those reasons, which ended up being uh, one of the main reasons I ended up doing research. It's incredible. Um, there's certainly a lot that we've seen, particularly in the last couple of years, the pandemic going on but there's a tremendous need for physician leaders in the arena of public health and uh, a tremendous need to back up public health decisions with evidence. So thank you for taking all that on. I'd be curious, you, you mentioned your, a lot of your early interests have been uh, in public health. Um, where do you see that boundary between public health related research and, and medical research and, and where, what role does emergency medicine research play in that? So, one thing I would say for sure, as an emergency physician, I think the job that we do our work every day is really, um, it correlates and it's most of, you know, what we do is interfacing with the reality of public health failures. Uh, you know, the job our, uh, you know, if our society had the perfect emergency, I mean, healthcare system, then we would not see most of the emergencies that we're seeing now every day. And as you know, in the hospital, we're not only seeing emergencies, but really because people do not have access to primary care and access just to general health care, they end up being in our emergency department for non-emergent and non-urgent things. So really we're dealing with the flares of public health. 
And I would say compared to many other specialties and subspecialties, uh, being an emergency physician probably has the highest, uh, probably has, you know, the highest interface with the public health efforts that's happening. We are always trying to advocate for prevention as we see the system failures and the patients end up in our emergency department. And we're also seeing now, you know, with COVID pandemic, how really the public health messaging was very, very important, especially during the early, um, during the beginning of the pandemic. And me being in New York City, being one of the hardest hit areas at the very early on, and being the epicenter of the pandemic, uh, you know, the public health messaging was very, very important. I think emergency medicine, um, the specialty and the providers are uniquely positioned for this effort. So, um, hold on a second. Sorry, my baby was just around. So, uh, anyway, so I was just saying about really the messaging very early on and the teaching and the outreach was uh, mostly then, as you, if you, actually, if you've seen and if you've been following, really by emergency physicians who've seen the failures, the who've seen most of the uh, pandemic uh, evolve over time and. Uh, so I would say at the very, very Leon, especially the public health uh, messaging was uh, coming from emergency providers in general. So, I'll, you know, just to make you just to give you a short answer, I think emergency medicine, I would say, is the epitome of the interface between public health and clinical medicine and our job to become natural and advocates for, you know, high quality emergency care and access to uh, health care just comes naturally from what we see every day. Absolutely. I know a lot of our students, um, what's one of the things we love about emergency medicine is that really deep culture of advocacy within the specialty. Um, out of curiosity, do you have dedicated time in your schedule committed to, to research? How do you find that balance while still keeping a clinical schedule? So uh, just, I mean, maybe I should explain a little bit of my background in a way that uh, I explained how I ended up uh, being drawn to research. But so um, after the doing residency, I know I wanted to do public health and global health work. And you can pretty much do those works without doing fellowship. But one of the reasons I ended up doing fellowship is because I wanted to gain more research skills and get my public called and um, really also uh, trying to get some of the networking and it's really about the people that you meet and the mentorship and the guidance that really guides your decision into um, your research and really having that guidance for your career. So I wanted to get an MPH for that reason and do a fellowship. So um, I ended up doing an MPH uh, Columbia and we're in, pop in, in uh, population and family health. And also that exposure helped a lot with, you know, getting some research skill and quantitative and qualitative research. And at the same time, um, having the resources and having the networking and uh, the connections to help you and guide you through a research career. So uh, I ended up doing that fellowship and I would say doing fellowship, you know, it's more of uh, your building your experience. It's just, you know, taking less time to 
go into clinical medicine, but really focusing on other things that interest you. So I had some protected time to do research and global health work doing that. And over time, I ended up doing a lot of work in Ethiopia, where I'm originally from, and um, got recruited at to work at the ministerial level and got appointed as an advisor there. And most of the work that we did there is really trying to advocate for high quality emergency care. And I had some salary support to help the government Ethiopia was building an emergency care system. So doing that, you know, I was working with uh, the different academic centers here to generate evidence for implementation of emergency care system, especially at the first, at the lower level um, hospital system, not the this at the tertiary level. So we have some research and collaboration with the World Health Organization looking at this implementation of emergency um, emergency care toolkits that's developed by WHO. And before that, when I was a fellow, I had spent time at WHO developing these tools to be used in lower and middle-income countries. So uh, I had some time doing fellowship and continued to do so through support uh, from the Ministry of Health, not just to do research, but really to do the implementation work and help uh, with some of the uh, with some of the program evaluation and also with strength and emergency care system. In addition to that, um, I am also involved in several research projects here in the U.S. looking at vaccine equity, uh, looking at uh, disparities in access to healthcare. So I have some protected time through grants, and um, I am a part of the research division and also run the research internship program where post-bac students come and spend time doing research in the emergency department. So all to that, a combination of those things and also using my own personal time is what I dedicate research, uh, where is the time that I'm dedicated to do research. I would say also over time, like I'm kind of, you know, still in my early career uh, path and I have mentors and, uh, you know, supervisors who are guiding me through it. And I'm on several uh, grants and also now applying for NIH grants to support my salary. So uh, those are some of the things that I'm doing. And over time, I do hope to get more protected time and funded time to do research. Well, that's incredible. Um, so, so many things to dive into. I've been taking some notes here, some questions we go. It sounds like you've got an incredible breadth of things that you're involved with. Um, do you find that a lot of what you're able to do is dictated based on what you can get funded to do, or have you been able to really follow your passions? It's a good question, actually. I, I gave a talk yesterday to the, the Millman School of Public Health students yesterday, really about the challenge with implementation of public health and really about the politics of public health. I think it would be naive to say is not really driven by so much of politics and resources. And I would say, you know, uh, even within the world of academia and research, really it's money talks. If you don't have the money and the resources to do your research, the support staff, it will be very difficult to do those things. Uh, so to answer your questions, you know, uh, as you know, for both research here and also abroad at Global Health, especially the federal fundings or funds that come from philanthropy, it comes with sort of this agenda, meaning the program, let's say it might be for the global health program, might be on HIV, TB, malaria here, 
uh, with an NIH, if you look at it, there are different institutes that are looking for specific research topics. So you have to find a way to make your research question fit within those boundaries of the institute and the objectives. The same thing for global health research. And unfortunately, you know, there is not a dedicated emergency care system institute or there's not a dedicated program that only looks at emergency care system. But we have, you know, through the SAEM Foundation and through ASAP, different foundations, there's some support for research. Um, so that's at least for emergency care system. So that's that's the beginning and through EMF too. But for really looking at federally funded um, from the CDC or NIH, um, it's all really about navigating the system to ensure that you objectives match with the objectives of the institute that you apply for. And some things are driven by what's a priority, let's say for that philanthropy or for the federal government or for the society. And other things, you know, you can get from your school, like through internal grants. And again, that comes with of caveats that you have to somehow make it fit into their objective. So in that way, it's a bit challenging. And some of the work that you're going to try to do, it's, you know, you might have to do it for free until you generate some pilot data. And then you use that pilot data to advocate and use that for um, for a higher or bigger grant. Really interesting, some great points there. Um, next question, I, I know one of the things that we ask most of our researchers who join this series is what success looks like for them. And, and oftentimes, particularly for researchers who are developing clinical protocols or perhaps a, a drug regimen or something like that, uh, success is very clear cut. Uh, I know something that we hear a lot from our, our teammates that work in global health or in the public health sector is that sometimes success can be a little harder to define, especially uh, in the early days of their careers. What, what does success look like for you? And do you think you're headed in that direction? You know, I don't know if there is a success definition for me or what direction I'm heading. I would say so though, I'm uh, very honored and blessed and a combination of all things to have the opportunities that I have and having the privileges to do what I do, especially um, knowing where I come from. So uh, it's, you know, been an interesting journey. It's, you know, I know I always wanted to be a doctor, uh, since, I mean, I wouldn't say since I was young, but, you know, I wanted to do something with science and public health and global health. So I would say I am where I wanted to be. And there are a lot of spaces that I want to take up and other things I would say for me, successfully defined by the amount of people that I bring up and support. Uh, by people that I mentor and guide and their success or where to help with that is more of, uh, for me, what I would define as success. It's really not about my own success or journey through achieving uh, certain goals. Um, you know, for me, I would say, I think I've been privileged to be where I am taking up spaces and places and positions that I never thought I would be able to be in. Um, and I think in that way, I am, you know, it's more of like small achievements. That's what I see that's in that way. There's this bigger achievement that I'm striving for. And really uh, one thing also to 
say with public health work, you know, we talk about delayed gratification and medicine through the journey that we go through to achieve our medical degree and start working as, uh, you know, independent physicians or as attending physicians. That is the delayed gratification towards achieving your career goals. But when, you were, when you're looking at public health work, the work that you do, the effect, like you might not be able to see the impact uh, you know, during your lifetime for some things and some other things you might not be able to see for, you know, several years. So really getting used to that delayed gratification and the impact, trying to look at the analysis and the results of the impact through research questions. Seeing that for me, uh, of course, you know, in my lifetime would be a big success, which is like implementing emergency care systems um, and uh, ensuring that people of, you know, lower middle income countries have to access to high quality emergency care. And, you know, this is just not an effort. This is a collaborative work with many stakeholders. And the beginning of, you know, those things we've been able to push um, at WHO level, at a higher level, at a government level. But for me, I think it's more so, of, you know, how much of an impact that I'll be able to have through my public health work and also through, you know, my mentorship and guidance and the students that, you know, I work with and helping them achieve success and the people, you know, through uh, the people I bring up to success is how I'll measure my success. And I think it's an ongoing process and I don't think it's something that, I would say, hey, this is the point where I'll define myself as being successful. But I'm just, you know, I want to uh, recognize that I've been privileged to do many of the things that I do right now. And many other people will tell me, hey, you're very successful at a young age, blah, blah, blah. But I don't see it yet. And I think that's just because I'm constantly striving for something more. That's beautiful and certainly a humble attitude. I know for many folks your age, you've made an incredible um, journey and I, I, we certainly consider you a success. Um, so you mentioned, you. One of the, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned one of the metrics there that you were thinking about was the people that you can bring up um, along with you, along those lines. Let's think a little bit specifically about medical students. Did you do any research while you were in medical school? I didn't and I even up to like my second year of residency, I didn't think I was going to be that person focused on research. And even then I thought I might do some research, but I didn't think I was gonna be really all about generating evidence for um, you know, the work that I do. And you know, I would say if you know, more of my I would describe myself, you know, more of an advocate than a researcher, but then over time now more been focused on research or meaning like generating the evidence for your advocacy work so um i would you know just to answer your question i didn't in medical school but i do have medical students who do research with me and public health students okay great i know that that notion of generating evidence for advocacy work is a really powerful message it's something that interests a lot of our students for students who may be interested in getting started on that process and perhaps some of the students that you work with, what advice may you have for them of, of how to get started on that journey? So I think it's important to know what you want and to also um, trying to see what you're getting out of those um, research opportunities. Um, you know, I, like I stated earlier, I do run this research intern director uh, 
research internship program, and I serve as a director of that. And we have medical students, not medical students, sorry, post-bac and public health students who work as research interns in our emergency department. And I see most people are super, super excited and they look forward to being, you know, in the emergency department to see patients, uh, to see, you know, patient, to have some sort of patient interaction. And uh, I see them super, super excited and looking forward for these opportunities. And I think the exposure is great, but know that, you know, there are a lot of opportunities that will come along the way. I would say that the advice that I have for them is don't anchor on one specific project or one specific program because thinking that's what you would want to do. But I would say, especially very early on in your career, I would say just have an open mind about things and look for opportunities that, uh, you know, help you grow. And more than the research subject, I think it's also really matters the research person that you you're working with having the right thing I would say focus on that and if you don't do any research now and that is completely fine and you know there'll be a lot of opportunities along the way that's great advice I know many of us feel as students the pressure to to get involved with research early on and uh, if we're lucky we find projects that you know align with our passions and things we want to do um, long-term, but that's certainly a great reminder not to anchor ourselves too deeply into one project or, or even one area. And I think as your career has demonstrated, emergency medicine gives us a lot of flexibility and the ability to contribute in a broad range of areas. Yes, absolutely right. So next up is one of my favorite questions to ask our researchers, and it's it's something of a idealist question, but uh, in a world in which funding was not a limiting factor, where we weren't trying to comply with the objectives of a grant or with an institutional priority, where you had sort of carte blanche of, of your research agenda, what would your focus be over the coming years? You know, for me, working on disparities and just health equity uh, equation has been very important, not just, you know, within the U.S., but really within the global health aspect. And uh, I always talk about, you know, especially from the global health perspectives about how there's been so much success in the past, you know, 40, 50 years. And we've really been, you know, as a public health and as people in the medical field, we focus so much on the negative, but I know there's been so much of, uh, of this, you know, the stories that, you know, some impactful work that have developed over time, also looking at also in the U.S. and in the global context. So I would say really looking at especially the role of emergency care systems, the role of, you know, strong emergency care system for um, uh, what, you know, for me, being a healthcare advocate, really looking at universal health coverage and increasing health care just for people in general all over, no matter where you are. It's not about your zip code or what you know what part of the world you're in, but really looking at access to care. And um, and along with that, we're just looking at it through you know the the health equity lens. So for me, uh I would really love to learn about, you know, the impactful work with uh, 
outcomes that are measurable, that are, you know, scalable, and that, you know, eventually would have a great impact on patients that have poor access to care. So that would be like really my ideal work in a way that is, um, you know, learning from small evidences and looking somehow to scale it. So I'm not really sure if it is clear, but your question also, you know, from being an idealist in a way, I, unfortunately, the reality might not be that way. So I try not to think of it in a way, but trying try to strive through, you know, for higher goals and trying to um, be this visionary person. But at the same time, the reality on the ground and what, you know, from research is not that. But so uh, my lessons have been trying to navigate that from more of from, you know, the realistic approach, because in a way, being this idealist person, especially coming very early on to your medical career, it could in a way be very discouraging that, you know, what you'd hoped for and what you were hoping to do or see is, you know, not available or attainable. But navigating through some of the barriers and trying to make it a fit through the objectives of the reality of the world it's somehow the, you know, the middle ground to push for your work and advocacy work that you do. Thank you for that. That's really beautiful perspective. Um, so we'd be remiss if we didn't note that uh, you were born and raised in Ethiopia and now practice um, medicine in the United States. Could you tell us a little bit about when the transition came to the United States and how you think that has shaped your um, view of medicine and of research? So I would say actually most of my education has happened in the U.S. So I can't give you so much of a different perspective. Uh, you know, I'm Ethiopian. I went to school there. I, most of my life I've lived in the U.S. now since high school. So my education system, the medical education system, I went to a U.S. education system. But one thing I would say, you know, from working in Ethiopia for several years, there are people, uh, you know, of course, um, and my experience with, you know, engaging with people with the medical system there, me being involved with mentorship and guidance of emergency care uh, with the emergency residents there, I've been, you know, involved heavily, but I wouldn't say that I have firsthand experience of going to school there, the medical education. But as, part, as in many parts of the world, I would say the medical education there it, you know, does not involve having to go through an undergraduate degree people do go to medical school right after high school but you know it's a combined six or seven year program with medical school then they do internship um most people do practice as general practitioners right after medical school and finishing an internship year so that's really the common practice and you know and other parts of the world and really the to the effort to get into specialty care and residency is very, very difficult. So you will see, uh, you'll not, you'll not see that many specialized physicians and providers. But now it's expanding because medical schools are also expanding parts of the country outside of the capital city. So we've seen that, and of course, uh, you know. Unfortunately, being in a lower middle income country, access to care is very different than what you see in the U.S. And the training that, you know, um, I will say I have seen, especially working and um, and volunteering in the one of, you know, the poorest hospitals and, and 
the biggest referral hospitals and looking at really interesting cases, especially when I was a medical student, a resident, just seeing the pathology that I've never seen in the U.S. or never uh, witnessed firsthand. Um, those for me were very, very um, eye-opening experience. And I would say also, we don't really talk about it since this is more of a research talk, but I've also done humanitarian work and uh, even in Haiti and also in Mosul and Iraq, really working at the humanitarian settings and which is more you know, different than any other medical settings that I've ever been to. So those have been really um, eye-opening experience for me. Yeah, I can imagine there are some big differences there. Yep, absolutely. So within this lens of, of global health or healthcare on the global stage, um, I know oftentimes we, we hear the US healthcare system um, I was certainly internally criticized, but at times internationally looked at as if it's on a pedestal. We, we oftentimes think of it as sort of one of, if not the premier global um, or excuse me, healthcare systems in the globe. Um, based on your experience internationally, do you think that's, a, that's fair? Do you think there's, it's fair to say that U.S. healthcare is leading the, the globe and are there things that we could be learning from our friends abroad? You know, I would say it's leading in healthcare advances. And uh, for sure, in research and innovation, and and um, really, especially when you're looking at like subspecialty care and all of those things, I would say yes, the U.S. leads in so much of the academia and and um, and innovation. Of course, what really uh, when you talk about, especially for somebody who's a public health advocate who is all about health equity. What is um, what the U.S. unfortunately is criticized about and what we've seen it might be a little bit political discussion, unfortunately, should not, should not have been, but is really about access to care. The fact that healthcare delivery is so expensive compared to a lot of other high-income um, high countries and developed countries, that's unacceptable. The fact that many people end up paying for, um, end up being unfortunately in bankruptcy due to medical bills, that is something that you know should not be acceptable. I'm a believer that health is a human right. Uh, really, people having um, access to healthcare is something that we should not be even debating about. But unfortunately, that is driven by so much of the political leadership. And, but, you know, as somebody who works in the, you know, at the front line and who's working um, in an emergency department in the middle of New York, in the middle of New York City, uh, you know, I see most of the disparities in access to care. So when it comes to patient service, to patients, um, medical care, it's unfortunate that we're really, really behind in the U.S. And if you're looking at the, also the health outcomes compared to a lot of you know, health care, but the health outcomes and a lot of the indicators for good health, we are lag behind here in the U.S. And I think it's just because of the lack of the investment on prevention then, um, that, you know, then will we actually need to do so? So it's, I know for so many people it's debatable, but I would say that we're really, really behind when it comes to really 
um, ensuring access to care here in the U.S. And I always joke about sometimes, you know, when I'm even working in the middle of New York City, if you walk into a very busy ER, you'll see people in the hallway, you see, you know, people waiting room forever. And this is, you know, and when you go to other parts of the world, even in middle income, low income countries, it's, you know, you would not be able to feel the difference of the crowd, you know, the crowdedness and the, you know, poor access to care. People are waiting forever to see a physician or a healthcare provider. So you see that in most parts of the world, even including in developed countries. And the data certainly backs you up on a lot of those observations. Uh, I know the National Academy of Medicine has certainly sounded the alarm on a lot of the deterioration of some of these metrics that we talked about. And uh, they came out with a report earlier this year that really screamed from the mountaintop that there, we need more research in this area and uh, we need more research on how we deliver healthcare in a more equitable way. And uh, it's great to hear that emergency medicine is part of that. Hearing a yep. lot of what you had to, had to say here, you certainly got a deep passion for global health, a deep passion for public health and access to care and, and things that um, we're grateful to hear are part of the conversation and, and certainly we need to hear more of. I guess my last question for you here is why emergency medicine? If so much of your passion is, is driven by and embedded with public health, how did you find your home in emergency medicine? Um. I alluded to earlier, I don't think there's any specialty that has that much of an interface with public health and really about um, this mantra of emergency medicine being able to provide care for, you know, anywhere, anytime uh, for anyone. And really it's what drives, you know, and that is really the epitome of also what an ideal health care system should be. And also it comes, you know, when we, you know, we are the only people available 24 seven, 365. And being able to help people at the most vulnerable time of their life, being there for, uh, you know, people who do not have access to either their primary healthcare providers or who just need some sort of medical attention to be, to be that person to do that, uh, you know, something that I highly value. And like I said earlier, I think also the emergency department is where you see most of the failures of the public health system in general. So it gives you that also, um, inspiration and that drive to do more work and public health and advocacy and just things outside of just clinical medicine and also comes with you know there are a lot of questions to be answered why is this happening so we have a lot of questions and trying to answer that um, you know whatever questions that you have it goes through this you know research and really generating the evidence to advocate for the work that you're doing. For example, it's just, you know, small observations during the pandemic. It's like we were at the front line seeing new things every day. And we had a lot of questions like, wait, the patients have low oxygen, but they're talking normally. They're, they're just giving an example like, you know, we dubbed happy hypoxemic. And eventually just like, okay, now we need more public, bigger public health intervention. Maybe the patients that are coming for these symptoms, and now the hospitals are being full and crowded, if they have, you know, a low oxygenation, but that's not severe, if we can arrange for 
example, like oxygen concentrators, can they go home with that? So like this small innovative approaches that could help with the hospital crowding system, really some of the public health failures, it comes from small observations as such. And that happens really within the, you know, at the front line, whether it's at the free hospital level or so the damage department to be able to find the small solutions and also to study the data around it and to generate the evidence and apply it to alleviate some of the public health um, challenge. Beautifully said. I, I love the notion of emergency medicine as being the ultimate safety net or the everyone's resource of last resort. And uh, it certainly makes a powerful case for why public health and emergency medicine are um, inseparably linked. Well, you've yeah. given us a lot to think about here and a lot of, of inspiring words. I know a lot of our students and residents listening in will, will certainly take this to heart. Any last words or suggestions for any of our students or residents who are listening in? I think it's great to see how many people have this interest. And also, I'm kind of jealous of, you know, the current medical students in a way that have all the resources, that have this access, and that have, um, you know, the right people to guide them. So take advantage of that. And there are many of us, you know, whether we're uh, in our, you know, early career or mid, and right now, especially emergency medicine, um, you know, not really aging myself here, but looking at where it has been in the past, you know, 30, 40 years and coming to it, you know, the found, I was trained at Bellevue and like really working with the founders of emergency medicine in this country. Um, I've seen how it's progressed. I've seen their challenges. And I think now there are different new challenges to, especially to your new generation. It's within the emergency medicine and then a lot of opportunities for it to grow. Um, I know there's some challenges that come with that, but I think it's very important that um, you try to, you know, find the solutions within what you see every day using the, your research mentality and the, at the same time advocating for the specialty and taking it to another level to, um, from where it is right now. It's a great observation. I think it's easy for us to forget that emergency medicine as a specialty, as sort of its own area of medicine, uh, is still very, very young. I thought a lot of ways we are just the second generation of emergency medicine. So a lot, a lot can change. Um, I appreciate your message of not being afraid to ask questions and to think about how we can do not only a better job of what happens within the emergency room, but remembering that what we do and the impacts that we have. So before the emergency room, after the emergency room, and and really across the entire lifespan of our patients. Yep. Thanks thank so you. much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Faru, and thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for this latest segment of the SAM RAMS Biosketch series.